Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. And joining me today to preview the week six games this weekend is the actual star of the Football Outsiders streaming efforts, Aaron Schatz, founder of Football Outsiders. Aaron, what's going on? I said yesterday at the end of our show, yeah, come back tomorrow. Scott will be here. I won't, but Scott will. Guess <laughs> what? I'm here, too. Hello. You're a liar. Hi. I mean, it's heck, my yeah. first Friday. We talk some fantasy football. Actually, yeah, we're having you on all five days this week. So we were really putting it all on your shoulders. I hope you're ready to carry it for us. I didn't you, do Tuesday. Tuesday I got home. Oh, that. okay. Okay. Well, that well, that thing is for that. You get a little bit of a break. Um, but this is I actually wanted to start with you here because since you're the man that is in charge of all the DVOA ratings, we're starting again this week, uh, Sunday morning early at 930 over in London. And I got a huge kick out of seeing your updates, noticing that the NFL has sent literally the four worst teams by DVOA to London <laughs> the last two weeks. This week, we have the Dolphins and the Jaguars. It kind of cracked me up. But I think for the major storyline of this game, I'm wondering if you think that Tua Tagalavea coming back in this game, is that going to change the Dolphins' fortunes? And is it going to change the fortunes of any of the Dolphins' skill players going forward? I mean, I think based on our projections going into this season, Tua should be expected to play better than what they've gotten out of Jacoby Brissett so far. Like we expected a second year improvement from Tua Tagovailoa. We thought that, you know, he would be a maybe an average quarterback, slightly above average quarterback. He certainly yeah. was not in week one, but he's barely played other than that. So I don't feel you can make any judgments about how good Tua is based on the one game that we have data for right now. Yeah, well, um, he, he's thrown, what, 31 pass attempts so far this season? Like, yeah. it, it always seemed harsh to me that last year people really called him out for having a not a bad rookie season at all, negative 8.5% passing DVOA is, like, totally fine. And if you slotted it in where everybody is this season, for instance, like Joe Burrow, who I feel like is, is making a great step forward, he's at negative 5.1% DVOA. We'll talk about that. Ryan Tannehill, negative 18.4%. It's, I mean, a little bit below average in DVOA. It's, it's not that bad given how many good quarterbacks there are. And Tagalavea has what, like seven starts in his career? I mean, it's the pessimism is really surprising to me. I see we can't agree on how to pronounce his last name. I have no <laughs> idea if I'm right, by the way. I always say the tag. You know, I know it's supposed to be Tungavaloa, but I, I like I don't have that. It's like trying to roll an R in Tung, Spanish. Tungavaloa? I just, where, I, where I grew up, that's a hard one to say. Um, um, but like, I'm a fan. I, I think he's got a real chance to make a difference this year. And this may be more on your point of things, but like it looks like the Dolphins are going to kind of turn a page in terms of the difficulty of their schedule, especially starting this week against the Jaguars, right? Yes, they have played the sixth hardest schedule so far by DVOA. They have the second easiest remaining schedule. Hmm. I mean, I feel like that could really make a huge difference. Um what I'm most interested in among the skill players is actually Mike Gesicki, the tight end, because he's up to an 18.5% target share now. That's the seventh highest among all tight ends. But there's an interesting split going on with he, um, with Brissett versus he with Tua. With Tua, he, he saw just 6.5% of the targets. Again, that's out of the only the 31 that the two have stunned so far. But with Brissett, it's way up at 19.9%, kind of in a range that would make him almost a top five tight end in fantasy. And I've kind of gone back and forth whether that's just a weird small schedule quirk. Maybe it was a week one opponent quirk. But part of it, too, is that, you know, Gasicki is more of a contested catch winner. He had this the third lowest average yards of separation by next-gen stats last year. Is there arm strength component here where Tua maybe wants to throw the ball to guys like Jalen Waddle that can really separate? And maybe that's why the Dolphins were adding the guys they were this year. What are your thoughts on all of that? 
I think that's definitely a possibility. I'm, I'm rooting for Gusecki to be a big part of the offense because I have him in Scott Fishbowl. But oh, yeah. I would want to go back and see what his target share was last year when Tagovailoa was the um, was the quarterback. I think that's more saying. Than- so, yeah, I pulled it up at some point. And it was similar to what it was with Fitzpatrick, but kind of in the middle of both of these guys. I think it was around like a 15% range. So- All right. I think that that is probably likely going forward. It will be what it was last year with Tua. Like, mm-hmm. so not as much as it has been. I agree with you that they want to get the ball downfield. No, what they can't do with all of this, like one yard stuff and behind the line of scrimmage stuff with Waddle and the got so many wide receiver screens and yeah. plays that go nowhere with poor Jalen Waddle, like let him go out and separate. I've seen enough wide receiver screens for a lifetime the last two weeks. First watching the Panthers play the Eagles and then watching the Bucks play the Eagles last night. I just I want to see some downfield passing that I'm hoping to is going to going to uh, help with that. We'll see. On the DFS side of things, uh, because I'm a little bit less sure about like Gasicki and stuff. And frankly, you know, we haven't seen Tua play yet after the, the broken ribs. So I'm, I'm a little bit nervous there in what would otherwise be a good matchup. So I'm leaning here toward Miles Gaskin, the running back at 6000 in FanDuel. I think that's $800 underpriced. His price has gotten a little bit wacky because there was a really weird thing that happened in week four. Like he's been the main guy every week except then. Here are his snap shares by week. 54, 61, 52, 23, and 69%. So 23%, that's really weird. Touches, 14, 9, 16, 2, and 15. I'm reading between the lines here, but I'm assuming there was something wrong with, with Gaskin where he was maybe playing hurt or something in week four that kind of left him out of the game. I haven't seen anything in terms of reports i don't know if you have but i went looking i went looking nothing couldn't find anything it's just you know stories from miami fan sites saying you know maybe uh flores has gotten tired of gaskin and then next game gaskin comes back and targets and two touchdowns yeah exactly so you know basically i'm taking that as a as a good news thing that it lowered his prices and kind of crossing my fingers here because the jags are just such a great matchup for running backs Uh, They increased run plays by 22%, second most in football. They increased touchdown rate by 88%, also second most. So this is going to be one of the few opportunities that the Dolphins could have to maybe build a big lead and run the ball. And, you know, maybe that'll get Malcolm Brown and guys like that involved. But I think that Gaskin can, can make that work and produce for you in fantasy this week. All right, before we pivot, I'll mention that we're getting some questions here on YouTube. We are live every day, Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. However it is that you like to watch us, we would appreciate it. If you're in there on YouTube, you can ask us live questions. But going forward, I'm going to start holding most of those toward the end so we can kind of Q&A it all at the same time, unless you ask me questions that are kind of right on topic with where we are, and then I'll hit them right then. But this way, we can kind of keep the flow going. Head on over to the 1 p.m. window with the Packers at Bears, a pretty compelling game. 1 p.m. in Chicago, 58 degrees and clear. I had a question here related to Khalil Herbert, maybe playing a little bit more than I expected last week alongside Damian Williams. He played 53% of snaps versus 48% for Williams, took 18 versus 16 carries. But suddenly Damian Williams lands on the COVID reserve list. Sounds like he may actually have COVID and is already ruled out for this Sunday's game. And suddenly the Bears don't really have a lot of other options besides the six-round rookie. I think they have Ryan Nall, who they elevated from the practice squad. They've got Artavis Pierce on the practice squad. Uh, As a guy that does projections and did them all last year, let me tell you that those guys were not involved last year, even when they were on the team. So you know, what do you make of Herbert? Do you think this is going to be like all in on this guy where he can maybe be an RB2 this week, Aaron? Well, I think he's their guy. Uh, you know, sixth round rookie mm-hmm. usually is going to get carries ahead of uh, random dudes who've been on <laughs> practice squads for four years like Ryan yeah. Nall. So I think he's their guy. 
Uh, he did not have a good back cast yeah. uh, projection. It was fifth lowest among combine invitees. So we were not that high on him coming into the league, but you know, it matters, you know, workload matters a lot more than quality when it comes to running backs and fantasy points. So, I mean, he, he's probably the guy this week. Yeah. It's actually really interesting because if you kind of looked at the recent stretch, the bears have been on, they've been extremely run heavy and not so much with Justin Fields the way you would expect. So it's been like a really positive opportunity for first David Montgomery. And then you know, last week after he got hurt, Damian Williams, but I'm curious if that's going to hold true this week hosting the Packers. You it know, doesn't seem like it fits the game script. It seems like the Packers would take a big lead on them, right? That's what I was kind of worried about. And I actually ended up kind of manually lowering the number of run plays and increasing the pass plays, something I don't do very often. But just given the lack of options they have, like I basically ended up kind of kicking him out in Zach Moss's range in terms of projected fantasy points this week. So it's he is obviously the more featured back than Moss is at this point. But I just I worry that they're not going to be able to run the ball as much as they want if the Packers are able to score on them early. So that's my concern. Like, as for Herbert himself, I don't know. I was kind of intrigued by what I saw last week. All I really knew about him is what Backcast had said, as you mentioned, which wasn't super positive. Last week, you know, looking at him play, it's I was a little bit impressed by the vision. It seemed like he found some interesting cutback lanes that maybe other guys wouldn't have seen. But statistically, it's hard to tell. After the game happened, I saw a report that he had a huge number of yards after contact. But then when the sport radar data came in, that wasn't the case at all. So I, I'm confused by that. And I get that when you have one game's worth of data, you're just like, you know, if somebody marks something as being contacted, somebody <laughs> did it, like it can create those kind of weird things. So I want to see more before I decide anything on him on the player. But I guess it is an encouraging sign that he's going to be the absolute featured back in their backfield, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he's the guy. The only question is, what's the game script? Is he running the ball in the second half, or does Green Bay take a big lead? And on the flip side of that, my favorite DFS play for this game is actually Devontae Adams at 9,000 in DraftKings. I think that's markedly underpriced at 1,400. And that might be a surprising thing to hear me say, given what we maybe think about the Packers building a lead and then maybe being able to turn to someone like A.J. Dillon in the second half and, and just run the ball to kill clock. But, I mean, Adams is just kind of out of control right now with the target share. For the season, 37.7% target share is the most. Cooper Cup is in second at 33.5%. But since MVS got injured in uh, week two, I think it was maybe early week three, Adams has a 44.1% target share that's basically 10% higher than anybody else. I mean, you think about Derrick Henry being this, where it's just a different thing than everyone else at this position, but Adams is that too. And I don't know how high, high the price would have to be for me not to say, this guy's going to get like eight, eight target, I mean, eight catches for 120 yards this week for sure. Like this seems like a really good player to, to build a team around, don't you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I played Adams on one of my DFS slates. I definitely think he's he's trustworthy every week. No question about it. Okay, nice. Pivoting over to a game that I think is actually quite interesting, Bengals at Lions, 1 p.m. in Detroit in the Dome. There are a couple of interesting angles for this. For me, the main storyline one is really more of an injury angle, which is, Aaron, would you trust Joe Mixon as a daily option this week, assuming that he plays – it seems like he's trending towards playing, but he is definitely playing through an ankle injury. You can see it in his snap share from the previous few weeks. Early in the year, 78%, 84%, 74%, declined to 69%, and last week just 28% of the snaps. So Matt J.P. Ryan was picking up a lot of that slack. Luckily for, for Mixon's fantasy players, he did score, but it, it showed much more even of a split last week. But suddenly P. Ryan is he's on the COVID list too. I'm not really sure how many options the Bengals are going to have, and I'm wondering if – 
are you too scared by the injury or do you think the matchup with the Lions is good enough that you're just kind of kind of risk it and hope for the best? The latest story that I saw was the Bengals coach saying he's going to have a full load. Okay. I think he would be an interesting guy to play in DFS under the idea that maybe the injury would scare away other people. Yes. So maybe you would end up with, if he ends up having a big game, maybe you end up with a guy who had a big game who isn't taken by everybody. That could be really huge in a tournament setting too, because like as mentioned, the Lions, I think they're probably the best matchup for running backs in football right now. They're really good for quarterbacks too. So you can maybe have a little yin and yang there, but the Lions, uh, they're 28th in run defense DVOA. They increase run plays by 12%. They increase yards per attempt by 9% and touchdowns per attempt by 53%. Yeah, the Bengals are another team where I know that their overall DVOA numbers are pretty positive, but I'm not sure that's a team that you expect to necessarily build big leads against a lot of their opponents. But the Lions may be one that they could, even on the road and luckily in a dome where that could actually probably help too. But like that could be a real opportunity for Mixon to get a lot of workload this week, assuming that the ankle can hold up. And so that's kind of the angle that I'm taking here. Do you see, sort of see that game script as a possibility? Yeah, I, I would actually think it's going to be closer. The Lions have not been as bad as their record, right? True. They've got the two ridiculously close losses. So I I don't – I think there's a good chance that the Bengals never take their foot off the gas. Yeah. That, that, that their defense is a little bit overrated. I mean, when we saw them against Jacksonville, that did not look like a great defense. That their defense has played a little bit better than than it really is. And so Detroit can score some points, which means this game stays close, which means the Bengals don't take their foot off the gas and they should score a lot and do a lot on the on the on the on the Lions. And you had this as sort of your headline in the Start Sit article on Thursday, play all your Bengals. And I think it's a good idea. Yeah. And it honestly it might be the thing where you build some tournament lineups around Mixon and then maybe some more around the passing game if not both, frankly. And I actually have Joe Burrow as my favorite DraftKings value. He's just 6300 there. I think that's $700 underpriced. So the Lions angle is part of this too. For quarterbacks, they increase passing yards per attempt by 39% and touchdowns per attempt by 30%. But part of this is what I think Burrow is really turning a corner and sort of taking a year two leap a little bit in the background of Justin Herbert, say. But he's got really excellent kind of basic, I guess you would say, efficiencies. 71.7% completion rate, 8.8 yards per attempt, 7.6% touchdown rate. All of those are like among the league leaders. His actual total of pass attempts is lagging, but I think there's a reason for that. I think they kind of started slower there as a way to protect him coming in off the, the torn ACL and recovery from that. But his pass attempts by week have been going up 27, 30, and 18 the first uh, three weeks, up to 32 and then 38 last week. I think that's pretty encouraging, but I want to know from you, Aaron, Burrow's passing DVOA rate is is more middling, a little bit below average at negative 5.1%. And to me, that doesn't obviously jive with what we're seeing with his basic efficiencies. What is the difference there? Is it situational? Is it opponent? Yeah, it's interesting. A little bit of it is schedule, that he's had an easier schedule. Mm-hmm. He's tied for third with six interceptions. Yeah. He's tied for fourth with 14 sacks. Okay. He's better on third down than first and second downs. And he had a terrible game in week two against Chicago with only 5.1 net yards per pass. And that's dragging down his numbers for the whole season. Okay, that's interesting. See, some of those, like even though you would say take the sack numbers, for instance, those are numbers you probably expect to continue with the issues on their offensive line. I would say the interceptions you might expect to continue to a certain extent because, you know, if if those are pressure-related instances, he may be trying to force circumstances when he doesn't have clean looks. But the good thing about those is assuming knock on wood, he doesn't get hurt. 
they don't really hurt you in fantasy as nearly as much as you get helped by extra pass attempts, more aggressive play, that type of stuff. So yes. this may be a little bit of a situation where I think Burrow maybe can help you a little bit more in fantasy than necessarily he would be as good as a real NFL quarterback. Although I'm high on him from kind of all respects there, but does that make sense to you? Yeah, well, not quite as much as Jalen Hurts, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Nice. All right, we got a couple more questions coming in here on the YouTube chat. Again, we're going to get to a lot of those later unless they're right on point, but we'll get to the Q&A section at the end. Let's keep going with the fantasy preview for the week, hitting on the Texans at Colts, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Indianapolis in the Dome there. Aaron, this is a good one for you because you were watching uh, Davis Mills light up your Patriots for some reason last week. But how does that one-week outburst change how you view both Mills and the Texans offense more broadly? Because in week five, it was 21 of 29 for 312 yards, three touchdowns. That's a 72% completion rate. The previous three weeks combined, it was 38 for 65 for 357, two and five interceptions for a 58% completion rate. He basically did more from a fantasy perspective in one week than he had the previous three weeks. What gives? Yeah, I think that they did some good designing of plays for him. Mm -hmm. I think there were a couple of amazing catches on not so great throws. Yeah. I did not come away from that game saying, wow, Davis Mills can really be a starter in this league. I think that it's some random fluctuation. Uh, and I would still suggest that Davis Mills is likely can be considered probably the worst starting quarterback okay. in the NFL right now going forward. So, I mean, that's interesting. It, it sort of jives with what head coach David Cully said. He's basically reaffirmed time after time that Tyrod Taylor is going to be the starter when he returns. Um, you and Rivers were talking, I think maybe on Wednesday when he was on Rivers being like a, a reporter that deals with the Texans a lot, that it's been kind of underreported that Tyrod's hamstring injury is more severe than we originally thought it was going to be, or maybe anybody cared to find out. And so suddenly we don't really know when it is that he's going to be healthy, but kind of with all of this kind of swirling, I'm curious when we started the season, we were saying, you know, Davis Mills, maybe he'll take over as the starter for the last month or two as a way to kind of try him out for next season. But how does the fact that he's playing this extended stretch in the middle of the season change your mind, if at all, on that? My guess is that when Taylor is healthy, they go back to Taylor. Mm -hmm. And then when December comes and they're clearly out of the playoff race, they go back to Mills. Okay. Because like I was thinking, Taylor as more of a runner in his own right could probably be a little bit more useful in the fantasy playoffs if the time came. I mean, this would probably if be If he's a, still playing, then yeah. He's quarterback an interesting league. guy to throw on your bench mm -hmm. if you've got the space on your bench hoping that you can use him, like especially two quarterback league. I'm actually in a two quarterback league and yeah. I picked him up as my third quarterback. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that absolutely makes sense. Um, but I think you're probably also right to a fear that Mills may be swinging back into the starting lineup for those last few games, right? When you would want to use Taylor in those deeper formats. I mean, I've been kind of pining this team, trying to look for any fantasy options. I think Brandon Cooks is really the only one you feel super good about. He's third among all wide receivers with a 33.3% target share. But there's also this like weird collective of slot receivers where they've they started with Danny Amendola, then they went to to uh the guy they traded from, from Anthony, Miller. Anthony Miller from, from the Packers, played him for a couple weeks and then released him. Thought they were getting Amendola back, but didn't. And, and suddenly, like former Raven special teamer Chris Moore is catching a lot of balls. But the, that threesome has gone five, six, five, and five targets in four games when they've been healthy. So there may be a little bit of value there, although I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Would you would you work at anybody on this team other than Brandon Cooks? No, Cooks, I think, I mean, that's another reason why Mills' game was fluky is because the Patriots worked to take Cooks away and he barely mm -hmm. threw to Cooks and he still had a really big game. 
Yeah. Most of his games are the opposite. Like he doesn't have success, but when he does, it's throwing to Cooks. Absolutely. So I think from the DFS perspective, you're probably looking more at the Colts. And I think Michael Pittman's probably your best bet there. I think he's a pretty good value at 5,800 in FanDuel, $1,000 underpriced. It's not the Brandon Cooks level, but Pittman's got a 24.2% target share that's 20th among wide receivers. And I think there's kind of a narrow window to take advantage of that in case T.Y. Hilton ends up coming back. Uh, but the Texans, they're actually a better defense than you would expect them to be. So there's actually a little bit of a negative uh, uh, move here for him for the matchup, but it gets a little bit counterbalanced by the dome. But Aaron, I think in the preseason, you were the one kind of touting that the Texans had a little bit more average talent than people expected. Yeah. That seems to be true for the, the the fantasy side of things too, right? Yeah, the, the Texans, their defense in particular is not as bad as people thought it was going to be. But mm -hmm. I mean, I think their offense is so bad. Again, last week was just a fluke that the other team's going to have the ball a lot. Yeah, it's it's honestly, it's the wrong sort of mix for the Texans to stay competitive in games because they had the ninth best pass defense TV away, but the 30th best run defense. Right. So as soon as they fall behind, you just run on them. And yeah, they're like a really easy team to put away once you build a lead on them. But that that was kind of a compelling game script thing that happened with the Patriots last week where since they were able to build the lead, it actually was kind of hard for the pass to move the ball on them. So, I mean, that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on going forward. But I think... That, that kind of leaves Pittman at a decent but not a great value because you could potentially see the Colts being able to kind of ride Jonathan Taylor later in the game. I will say Houston is one – this is not fantasy, this is betting, but Houston is one of the underdogs that the FO Plus picks take this week. Okay. Honestly, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's I mean – Plus you could 10. All, you could see it either way. Like you could see a, like the Colts blowout or you could see the Texans like outright winning. It's in the, in the middle is the thing that seems a little bit weirder to me. All right, up next, we have the Rams at the Giants, 1 p.m. Eastern time in New York, but 61 degrees and clear. Uh, it's hard to find something to talk about here that's not going to be ruined by injuries, but let's just talk about Kadarius Tony anyway. Aaron, what are your thoughts on the rookie after his 10-catch, 189-yard breakout, kind of ignoring the fact that we're not 100% sure if he's going to be able to play this week, but going forward more generally? I went out and grabbed him in my one league that's a dynasty league. I spent mm -hmm. a bunch of fab money on him just in case. I mean, yeah. I, I, I was not high on Tony going into the season. He had a poor playmaker rating for his position. He was like a high ceiling, low four guy. Yeah. Popped as a senior after not getting used very much in his first three years at Florida. Um didn't get used much in the first couple of games of the season. Didn't seem like they knew what they were going to do with him. Now, all of a sudden, with other guys injured, he's like a big part of the offense. So I took a flyer. But yeah. I I mean, I think he's a guy you take a flyer on. My expectations is not, are not that Kadarius Tony is going to develop into one of the top uh, receivers in the league or even the number one receiver for the Giants. I think if everybody's healthy, mm. the number one receiver for the Giants is Kenny Galladay. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely where my mind was before this performance, especially talking to Derek Klassen, our scouting expert. He had similar pessimistic views on Tony, especially like in his first year, I would say, given the kind of boom and bust nature of his college career at Florida. But what I was surprised to see is like looking up other rookie receivers that had these big outburst type of games. I was surprised by how consistently effective they were in fantasy in their rookie seasons. So there have been 14 wide receivers with 150-yard rookie games over the past decade. Three of them were wide receiver ones, Justin Jefferson, Michael Thomas, and Odell Beckham. Three were wide receiver twos, A.J. Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Mike Evans. Four were wide receiver threes, D.K. Metcalf, D.J. Moore, Sammy Watkins, and Michael Floyd. Three were wide receiver fours, Darius Slayton, Keelan Cole, and Terrence Williams. And only one of them failed to make that fantasy standard, being Traquan Smith. So like, while you think of Tony himself, as being this boomer bust, high ceiling, but really, really low floor prospect. 
the historical precedents for this type of performance suggest that this actually is going to lead to more fantasy success than than you would expect more reliably. Do you buy into that at all? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to watch the injury status because I think he loses his top, you know, his his target share when the guys get healthy. So he's not a guy you pick up and plan to put into your lineup for the entire rest of the year. I think he's a plug and play bye week tryout, you know, maybe in a dynasty league, you take a flyer on him. I don't see him being a top fantasy guy for the rest of the year. See, yeah, I must have love a mixed mind about this. Like, I definitely think that he's more of a temporary stash because, you know, maybe Daniel Jones is actually going to play this week. But after that concussion last week, I'm not going to count like on he's it. Playing. Um, that seems crazy. But like, to me, it's almost like, what are the Giants going to be playing for in the second half of the season if they're if they're no longer in the race? I mean, Dallas is going to completely run away with that division, it seems like. And at that point, like, why are you throwing tons of passes to Sterling Shepard? Like, I get why you would be throwing them to Kenny Galladay, who's on a long-term free agent deal and kind of needs to be a star to, to make sense of that. But why can't Tony be heavily involved where some of these other, like, bit players, like Evan Ingram? I feel like coaches in the NFL don't think about building for the future at the end of the season in the same way that we do. Like, we think about that it's efficient, that once mm -hmm. you're out of it, you need to concentrate on what you can learn for the future. Yeah. I don't think a lot of NFL coaches think that way. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And a lot of it has to do with timelines of head coaches. But I'm wondering, I don't feel like Joe Judge is going to get fired after this year. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like Gettleman know. might. Um, but like, if he feel, feels like he has another season, he should be try, trying to do his best to optimize his chances to win for 2022, right? Yeah, but I just, I don't know if a lot of yeah. coaches think that way. And I don't know if Judge, because if you think about Judge coming from the Belichick tree, Belichick absolutely does not think that way. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Absolutely right. And not like we've seen Belichick at the end of the year with nothing to play for, but we've seen him with week 17 games where the team was locked into their mm -hmm. to their spot and he still played starters. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, however you slice it, I think Tony may not be the best option this week. I don't actually think he's going to, maybe play this week. So like, if you're looking from a DFS angle, obviously there are a lot of attractive Ram options, but I'm going to actually look at Devonte Booker for the giants as an option at just 5,900 and FanDuel. To me, the only clarity here from an injury perspective with the giants is that Saquon Barkley is going to miss at least this week with an ankle injury. Last week after he went out, Devonte Booker ended up playing 88% of offensive snaps. And I'll mention that Gary Brightwell, the rookie, he was inactive and he'll probably be active this week, given that there's an extra open roster spot at the position. But I still think that Booker is probably going to dominate those touches. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Aaron, but I also want to hear what your thoughts are on the Rams run defense. Number two in run defense DVOA last season, but kind of middle of the pack this year. What's been going on there? I think some of that is just the natural variation of defense. Mm -hmm. uh, some of it is... Uh, the players that they lost, I realize the players they lost are in the secondary, but like John Johnson is a very good run yeah. defender and Michael Brockers is gone now. And then I think some of it is also, you know, there's a change in the defensive coordinator and some of it is also just the natural variation of defense and the entire Rams defense has not been as good as expected. True. There also may be a bit of a scheduling quirk because the, the Rams have played the third hardest schedule versus the ninth easiest the rest of the way. So maybe that'll be a thing that kind of moves the needle on them. But I think the, the major takeaway here is that I don't think you need to be scared away from, from Devontae Booker just because like Aaron Donald is in this defensive lineup. I think he'll probably get upward of 15 touches this no, week. Teams, which, have, teams know yeah. how to run away from Donald. Yeah. They know how to double team Donald. So I think you're going to have a chance to get touches this week that'll buoy him to close to, to running back two range, which, you know, at his, his DFS prices, I think makes it a, a worthwhile gamble. 
Uh, again, thanks for all these questions coming in on YouTube live. Again, we're Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube, among other platforms. We love to hear from you. All of the fantasy trade questions and stuff, I'm going to hold to the end of the show and do a Q&A then. So for the meantime, let's go keep going through all of the, the Sunday games to preview. We got the Chiefs at Washington football team, 1 p.m. in Washington uh, on Sunday, 60 degrees and clear. My main storyline is a good one here for you, Aaron, is that how bad is this Chiefs defense? And what do you think that means about the likely fantasy outputs, both of the Chiefs offense and but then maybe more importantly, but their opponents offenses? Uh, they're horrible. They're the yeah. eighth worst we've ever measured through five weeks. Are they going to continue to be this bad? No. Are they continue yeah. to be? Are they going to continue to be bad? Probably. So yeah, that means the offense will need to score more points. So good for your Chiefs players. That means offenses against them should continue to score more points. Mm -hmm. I expect to see a lot of scoring in Chiefs games for the rest of the year. Not their defense is not going to be as bad as it has been. It's very rare <laughs> for a defense that starts as bad as Kansas City's to stay that bad. Just like it's rare for a defense that starts as good as Buffalo's to stay that good. Yeah. I mean, that obviously makes sense. To me, it, it really jumped out to me this week for the first time, like how much worse they are than a lot of these other defenses. Because, you know, we spend so much time talking about defenses' ranks and because it's very easy to understand 32, you're the worst, but like 29.3% defensive DVOA where, you know, positive numbers are bad in that circumstance. The Jags have 23%. No one else is worse than 13.3%. So, like, we're talking about twice as bad or more than every other team but the Jags this year, right? Like, that is, that's awful. Yes, it's awful. It's absolutely <laughs> awful. I mean, the one thing they have going for them, again, offense is more consistent and predictive than defense. It's mm -hmm. unlikely their defense will continue to be this bad. Yeah. Um, but it should continue to be below average. So piggybacking on what you're saying about these, both their offense and other offenses throwing a lot, you know, Patrick Mahomes, you're seeing that happen so far this year. He's sixth in pass attempts, seventh in passing yards, first in passing touchdowns. He's got the six interceptions, and I think people are kind of picking him apart from that. But kind of fluky, though. I think they're fluky, one. And two, in fantasy, they just don't really matter that much. Like, the 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 production is just going to outweigh a few extra interceptions if that happens for whatever reason this season. But to, to me, the more interesting angle is really, like, what you're doing with the opponents. And I think this weekend is a really good kind of litmus test because you've got Taylor Heineke coming in from Washington who, you know, everybody knows that he's a backup and is – you're just like, yeah, and I don't think I probably want to start him in fantasy. But suddenly, with you know the numbers that we use with the opponent adjustments, he gets 1.3 extra projected fantasy points this week because of the matchup, and suddenly he's tied for 11th for me in my quarterback rankings this week. Now, some of that is from running. You, this is kind of surprising, but he's got a 20.2% carry share since week two, like becoming the starter. That's the eighth highest. It's actually just between Kyler Murray and Josh Allen. So you don't think of Heineke as being a big runner, but he's scrambled a lot and gotten production that way. But also, Aaron, he's got a 6.3% passing DVOA. Is Heineke actually pretty good? I think that we're going to need to see a whole year of it. I think yeah. when you watch him, you see him overthrow guys and his receivers adjust and make plays on balls that are overthrown. There's no yeah. question that that is an issue. Uh, that being said, it has now been four full games uh, of him being above average. And when you count the games from last year, it's like six games of him being above average. Yeah, including that playoff more, game. Yeah. The more he continues to play this well, the more you have to say, maybe this guy is above average. Um, I'd need to see a whole year of it before I'd be willing to say, yeah. you know, consider going into next year with him as your starter. And I still don't think I would end up saying that. I think yeah. I would consider it and then I'd say, no, 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 no. Get, get well, it's, I, that, 
That opinion specifically is really interesting because Washington faces the most difficult remaining schedule. But like, you know, I'm not sure if that necessarily is like a nail in Heineke's fantasy coffin, for instance. I think that would be a lot worse for the running backs than the quarterbacks, because again, if they fall behind, that may lead to extra mistakes, but it's going to lead to extra pass attempts, passing production, fantasy points, right? Agreed. I agree. Yeah. So I think there's some good options there. Um, I would actually consider rolling with Heineke in a DFS, you know, in a tournament type setting. But I think one of the more popular DFS plays that also makes sense this week is Daryl Williams running back for the Chiefs. He's just 5,200 in FanDuel. I think that's 1,300 underpriced. Normal running back starter for the Chiefs, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's going to miss a few weeks with a sprained MCL. And while I'll say Williams, he had a lot more work than the third down back, Jarrett McKinnon, last week. 10 carries plus targets versus just four for McKinnon. But their snap shares were a lot closer together, 43 versus 31%. To me, that probably is going to tell you what the workload split is going to be going forward is my guess. But I think that's still enough for Williams and an explosive offense to get you some production. Plus, even before the, the Edwards-Alaire injury, Williams was being used more in the red zone, 1.6 versus 1.3 expected rushing and receiving touchdowns. So I think at the bare minimum, the Chiefs offense is so good. They're still number one in offensive DVOA that – Williams is going to get goal line opportunities and touchdown his way to production and fantasy. With the Washington defense, with their front four, you're going to need to do some dump offs and screens. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that there's some some pretty good fantasy options all over the place in this game. All right, next up, Vikings of Panthers. I don't even want to talk about this, Aaron, after you're telling me that the Vikings are the number one football outsiders pick of the week. Uh, yeah, although this game has moved, the line has moved to the point where they're not the number one pick anymore. Well, that doesn't make me feel better either. That just means everybody's betting on the Vikings, right? Yes, everybody's betting on the Vikings. So, I mean, and the, the story I saw before we went on the air said McCaffrey did not practice today and probably will not play on Sunday. So, that's bad news. The major storyline is tied up in all of this, which is Aaron, do you think that Sam Darnold, did he have just a bad game last week? Did he turn back into a, you know, a pumpkin? Was it like this is always who he kind of was? Or is it possible that Christian McCaffrey makes this big a difference for him? I mean, it's hard to imagine that McCaffrey, that a running back, even McCaffrey, makes that big a difference. But there's no question he had positive pass DVOA in the first two weeks and negative in the last three. Yeah. Um, but he didn't have McCaffrey in week three or four, and he was a lot better in weeks three or four than he was in week five. Agreed. I was like trying to pick it apart and see if I could find stuff like that, looking at pressure numbers. So overall success percentage, weeks one to three, 51.4. Only a small drop to 48.7%. With pressure, 33 to 30%. Like, it's a small drop. It's it's not catastrophic. To me, it's been much more about just the, like, disaster-type plays, right? The first three weeks, he only had one interception. The last two, he's had five. The first three weeks, he took six sacks. The last two, he's taken eight. And, I mean, I think a lot of that is opponent-related to a certain extent. But, um, yeah, I, just, I don't know. The, the Panthers have other problems, like on the offensive line and stuff. And I think Darnold's going to have to make better decisions to remain a productive player for you in fantasy. And it's it's hard to believe that he's going to do that after seeing what happened last week. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm again, uh, you know, I know Darnold looked better for the first couple of weeks of the season, but I, I feel like stronger, lar larger sample sizes do eventually tend to win out. And that over the long run, Darnold is not someone we should expect to be very good. Yeah, I'm not completely off the bandwagon. I want to see more, but it, it was definitely discouraging. My original DFS play for this week was Christian McCaffrey, again, who was 50-50 until just recently was decided he was going to be out. It doesn't actually leave a lot of really good options. Um, the Vikings increased run plays by 13%. They increased yards per attempt by 14%. So, like, maybe you could look at, at Chuba. 
Um, but he hasn't really been dominating their backfield and touches the way that, that like Mike Davis did last year in McCaffrey's absence. And if Darnold doesn't play better, then it's, it's not going to really lead to those extra opportunities. I haven't seen any updates necessarily on Dalvin cook either, but if he plays, I think he may be a little bit of an option, but you know, the Panthers are still what third or fourth and in, in overall defensive DVOA. So it's, Second, I believe this may not be a great opportunity for you to find success from a DFS perspective, unless you just want to play the Vikings defense and hope they are the worst defense against number one receivers. Interesting. But I don't know. Does that is Justin Jefferson, the guy that becomes the number one receiver. And I'd have to go back and watch the tape to figure out why number one receivers have had big games against them while no other receivers have. Um, yeah. But that is an interesting little tidbit. It is. And I will say that, you know, Adam Thielen's target percentage has been declining pretty markedly over the course of this season where he's kind of more in that, like 30th overall receiver range, which, you know, touchdowns have buoyed his value a lot over the last couple of years anyway, but it's still a pretty market drop. It, it does seem like Justin Jefferson is kind of asserting a more substantial hold of the number one receiver role on the team than he had last year. So something to keep an eye on. Maybe he's a good play for you this week as well. All right, next up, the definite most interesting game of the early slate here, Chargers at Ravens, 1 p.m., uh, in Baltimore, 60 degrees, a little bit of wind factor here, 14 miles per hour, but obviously won't be a problem for Justin Herbert. But my major question here is on the Raven side of things, Aaron, which it looks like Rashad Bateman is going to play this week. And while I don't think anybody's going to necessarily be jumping to play a rookie in his debut this way, I'm curious if you think it's going to affect Marquise Brown, who has been, I think, surprisingly productive so far this season as the number six wide receiver in PPR scoring. I think it would be gradual that it affects Marquise Brown, but I do think that it would affect Marquise Brown a little bit because, but Bateman, I think, is the two. I think still Marquise Brown is the one receiver. Okay. I think that makes sense. His target share would definitely paint that picture. So it's 23.8% on the season, is 23rd highest among wide receivers. Lamar is actually, so like I know that Mike Tanier wrote this whole uh, article for the Football Outsiders Almanac about how he never really threw outside the hash marks yeah. previously that's changing and his wide receiver target share is changing along with it last year 42.8 percent was the lowest in football this year he's at 53.4 percent i mean it's a little below average but pretty much middle of the pack so lamar seems to be evolving and his passing numbers are getting a lot better but i can't get beyond the fact too that i feel like some of this has been kind of game scripty we're like the last two years jackson has thrown just 98 and 92 pass attempts with the ravens trailing this year, he's already up at 68 such pass attempts. I mean, it's it's a pretty big transformation, and I don't know if that's going to hold this week or not, but I think some of Lamar's reliance on his passing, if not necessarily his development, is about how the games have played out so far. Do you sort of see the same thing? Yeah, I think that that could be some of it, but I think that they also may have realized they needed to pass the ball more. Yeah. And and also with the all the injuries to the running backs that they just they could not be as run heavy as they had been in the past because they mm -hmm. don't trust these older running backs to be as good as the young ones that got injured. Yeah, I mean, either way, it's really encouraging to see Lamar's passing DVOA at 17.1%. That's a big rebound of, off the negative number last year, although obviously not still not at that 34.9% from his MVP season was just totally insane. But like if I'm sussing it all out, I'm giving Bateman like something in the neighborhood of maybe a 13 or 14 percent projected target share this week. And it kicks Marquise Brown out as like a back end wide receiver to 24th or so docking a little bit further from there with the Chargers matchup. But I'm definitely not scared away of Marquise Brown. I'm just not sure you're going to get, you know, top 10 wide receiver numbers the rest of the way. 
if the game scripts even out a bit, you know, if if it's interesting because this is a game where the Ravens should be running the ball because there's no question the Chargers defense is much better against the pass than against the run. Absolutely. From the DFS side of things, I'm actually going to take a charger here in Austin Eckler, $7,900 in DraftKings. I think that's $600 under price. He's actually the number two running back in PPR scoring, trailing just uh, Derrick Henry, who's got like 50 more carries than everybody else. So pretty impressive stuff so far. I will say that to me, this may be a really good opportunity to use him one more time and then trade him. I know you don't want to trade a player that's productive, but he's got seven rushing and receiving touchdowns versus 2.9 expected ones. That 4.1 touchdown yeah. surplus is more than double every other running back. So I think while the, the workload is good, he's obviously getting a lot of work as a receiver, which is really good in PPR formats. The touchdowns seem really lucky so far, right? And we saw what the Ravens did last week against running backs as receivers. They have a weakness there. So he'll probably continue to get receptions this week. Yeah, I would rely on him and then trade him, you know, either reach for the moon with someone like Christian McCaffrey or potentially trade him for you know, a, a player of his ilk, but then get an extra player too. So I was saying like Aaron Jones plus a receiver, like a Alvin Kamara plus a receiver. If he ends up with, you know, eight or nine touchdowns through the first six games, you can probably make that happen. All right, let's pivot over to the 4 p.m. slate. There's just three of these this week because we got the two bye weeks. Cardinals at Browns, another pretty great game here. 405 uh, in Cleveland, 61 degrees. Another game with some wind, 17 miles per hour. To me, that's a little bit more compelling because Kyler Murray, I don't know, Aaron, do you think has strength of schedule played into his early season, like MVP worthy start to the year? Yes, they have played an easier than average schedule so far this year. Tenth mm-hmm. easiest schedule so far, eighth hardest going forward. Yeah. So like to me, that makes a really big difference. And something that I harp on all the time is that Murray in his career has one of the more extreme home versus road splits among quarterbacks. I think part of that is just the fact that he plays at home in the dome, but it's going to really play this week when you're on the road against the Browns, whose defense, while may not be as good as people thought after their offseason acquisitions, is still markedly improved from last season, especially against the pass, right? Um, so it's just like, I feel like this is kind of a tough spot for Murray. He's not going to have a tight end because they traded for Zach Ertz to replace Max Williams, but that trade I don't think will will Ertz cannot play, play this week. He already, Ertz played, already played this week. He can't play again. So I think that there's a little bit of concerns there. Um, but yeah, like, so kind of digging back into the Murray start of the year, his opponent passed defense DVOAs by week. You were 25th in week one against the Titans, sixth in week two against the Vikings, 32nd week three against the Jaguars, 16th against the Rams in week four, and then 15th against the 49ers in week five. The thing that's tricky about it is I don't think people would necessarily assume by the names of the teams which ones were the good and bad defenses? Yeah, I think we, we definitely believe that the Rams and 49ers defenses will be better than this in the long run. So mm-hmm. maybe the schedule won't look quite as easy once we're, yeah. we've played a whole season here. It's intriguing, though. But they, they face the eighth hardest schedule over the rest of the way. So I don't think you should necessarily trade Kyler Murray, because especially from a fantasy perspective, sometimes the more difficult matchups lead to extra rushing production, which can help you more in fantasy anyway. But it's definitely interesting we didn't really have time to prepare about this because the Zacherts trade just had it, but do you have any kind of snap judgment thoughts on that? Max Williams, I've always thought of as maybe a blocking specialist at tight end, but was a lot more involved as a receiver so far this year. Maybe Ertz is an important piece for them. Yeah, they've never for years, even before Kingsbury, they didn't use tight ends very much. So I don't feel like Ertz is going to suddenly become super fantasy relevant, but it's yeah. definitely a position where they had a hole. 
So it's interesting because with, with Williams being out, I settled on Rondell Moore as being a compelling DFS option this week. $6,000 in FanDuel. It's a mild surplus at $100, but I just didn't love a lot of the options in this game. But he set a season high with a 48% snap share last week when Williams ended up going out for the game. So I thought that they might rely a little bit more on their wide receivers. I mean, they already do, but maybe more, maybe a Christian Kirk type would end up getting a little bit more work without a tight end in the mix. Do you feel that way? And is that, I guess, maybe only a, a one-week type of option? Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's that big a deal. Okay. Absolutely fair. Let's move on to, then, to the Raiders at Broncos game, 425 in Denver, 74 degrees and clear. Uh, I mean, this has been the major storyline all week with John Gruden being uh, either resigning or being relieved or whatever the case may be. This is tough for, for numbers guys like us to talk about, but is there anything you expect to change with the Raiders given that they're having this sort of head coaching turnover? I mean, I think there are reasons to believe that Gruden was still strong as a play caller. Their mm -hmm. offense hasn't been that great this year, but it was above average the last couple of years. Greg Olson now takes over as the offensive coordinator, and his yeah. history is just very blah. blah. Uh, Jacksonville, 2015 and 2016, 20th and 27th. Oakland before that, 28th and 30th. Tampa Bay before that, 26th, 9th, and 26th. So for the most part, Olsen has never led strong offenses. Gruden was one of those interesting coaches, like from a playing, like play calling on the field versus GMing type of thing, where like yeah. his reputation, like apart from all of the, the like emails and situation, is like his reputation was much worse than he probably was as a play caller because he did so much damage on the personnel side of things. And to me, that that might make it in reality, a bigger deal to lose him as the play caller than you might expect based on the reputation. Does, does it make sense how I'm explaining that? Yeah, I think it does. Okay. So like, I'm not, I'm definitely not in love with playing many of the Raiders this week. I, I'd really rather see this team and see how they work it out with a new coach before I make any moves there. If you want me to make a DFS recommendation, I'll say Javante Williams of the Broncos. He's 5,600 in FanDuel. I think that's $800 underpriced now, assuming Melvin Gordon plays, although he's questionable this week too. If he's out, I'm going to be all over Williams. I've loved what I've seen from Williams so far from a talent perspective. He's got a 16.7% avoided tackle rate. That's the second highest among running backs with 50 or more carries behind just Christian McCaffrey. But I also think this is a good matchup. You know, the Raiders have been much better defensively than I certainly expected, but so much of that has been on the pass defense side of things. They still increase run plays by 12%. They still increase yards per attempt and touchdowns per attempt by 6 and 35%. So I think it could be a big game for Javante Williams. Do you feel the same? Yeah, I like that. Uh, I think you should be prepared for frustration because when you have the two running backs who share the job like that, it's possible that the other one is the one who gets the touchdowns. But as long as you're prepared for the possible frustration, it's a good game. Absolutely. All right, cool. Moving on to the Cowboys versus the Patriots, your team, Aaron. 425, this one's in New England, 62 degrees and clear. Glad we have you on here to talk about Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. Because over the start of the season, it seemed like Jonu Smith was a little bit more involved, but Hunter Henry had eight targets last week. And I'm curious if you think that's representing some sort of changing of the guard. Yeah, I think the feeling around here is that that week three game against the Saints where Smith had all the, the passes go off his hands, including mm -hmm. the interception that turned into a pick six, that they trust Hunt, Hunter Henry more. And so Smith has become more of the blocker and Henry has become more of the pass catcher. See, it's interesting. So Smith has dropped three of his 18 catchable targets this season, giving him one of the highest drop rates in football. Not good. But, you know, he only had three drops on, what, 45 catchable targets last season. A lot of the research that, you know, all the analytical people have done is sort of suggested that drops aren't necessarily predictive. 
do you think that it would be an overreaction to like take that one bad game and kind of assume that about him? Or do you think there there's real stuff here too? No, I think it's overreaction, but Belichick is known for overreacting about that kind of thing. I know it. I think it's super weird. I mean, you've been around it forever, but it's like, to me, it's almost like the running back that fumbles is going to be less likely to fumble going forward. Cause that part of it is going to be in his mind, but like just play the best players, right? Like, why does he do this? I, uh, he, He's stuck in the sort of the old school idea of fumbles and drops being much more real than they are. Well, it's tough. Um, it also makes it kind of tough for me to, to pick out a player that I really want to go with here in fantasy. Uh, I, the Cowboys matchup is, is definitely not as good for a running back as it once was. Their defense is much better. I think they're a lot more likely to build a lead in this game than you might otherwise expect. So like if I were taking a passing game Mabel on the Patriots, if it wasn't Hunter Henry, I might look at Jacoby Myers He's 5,800 in FanDuel. I think that's a mild surplus of $500. He has a 24.7% target share. is the 16th highest among wide receivers. And I don't know if there's anything in this, Aaron, but he's averaged about 12 targets per game in the Patriots' three losses. Could there be some game script bonus here where if they fall behind the Cowboys that Myers gets a lot of targets this week? Yeah, I think that makes sense also with the past. You know, if they're, if Jones is pressured, he's going to go short. And if he goes short, the guy who goes to is Myers. Yeah. So like that's my run there. All right, we got two more games here, and then guys, we'll hit to all of these these questions you're sending in on YouTube. We really appreciate those, and we're gonna get to all of them in a minute. But first, let's do the Seahawks at the Steelers. The Sunday night game, eight twenty in Pittsburgh, fifty six degrees and clear. Geno Smith is gonna be starting this week and several more weeks while uh, Russell Wilson recovers from his finger injury. I think it's probably the case that most fantasy players are going to steer away from Smith and fantasy, but I'm curious if you think that he is going to sabotage DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett from a fantasy perspective. What do you think what about I, that? What I've found is that the backup quarterback hurts the depth receivers more than the number one and a little bit the number two, but especially okay. the number one. Like the number one still gets his targets. Yeah. That what you see the decline is, is the passes to the lesser receivers you see an increase in passes with no intended receiver. You see an increase in sacks, mm -hmm. interceptions, which don't, you know, we yeah. don't penalize uh, Metcalf or Lockett for. So I would think this will hurt Metcalf a little bit. It'll hurt Lockett a little bit more. But my guess is it's not going to hurt them as much as you might think. So it's interesting. I like I didn't even talk to you about this, but I probably should have. But I just noticed in my true talent rankings going from what the system kicks out for these two players. Metcalf fell from 12th in my true talent rankings at receiver last week to 22nd this week, so dropping 10 spots, while Lockett fell from 14th to 35th, so more like 20. You know, that that makes sense intuitively to me. Like Metcalf is, I think, clearly the number one. Lockett is really more of a field stretcher, and that may be something that they they miss in Wilson specifically. But that and that kind of jives with what your research is saying too. So that, that makes me feel pretty good about it. Uh, from the DFS side of things, you may not be super excited to roll with a lot of these Steelers guys with how they've started the season, but I'm curious if I can pique your interest, Aaron, and Pat Freermuth, the you rookie go tight end. You know, a lot of times you got to go with one of these $3,000 tight ends. So <laughs> question of, I mean, the tight ends, unless you're going to get Kelsey or Waller or something, it's the like, who's going to randomly have that game that CJ Ozuma had a couple weeks ago? Like, who's going to randomly do that? And I and guess Firemouth is a better chance than the, most of those guys. So I think that's true because, again, Juju Smith-Schuster is out for the season. He had a 16% target share when he went out. And while I didn't necessarily expect this to start the year, Freermuth has actually had more targets than Eric Ebron, 13-11 to 11 so far this season. So I think he's the primary pass-catching tight end in the offense now. And I'm wondering if the Steelers may rely a little bit more heavily on the tight ends. 
obviously as well as Deontay Johnson and, and Chase Claypool and such. But without having Juju, that may make a big difference. It maybe pushes Freermuth into you know your your lower tier fantasy consideration. It makes sense with a with a low DraftKings price. I actually think a lot of the mid tier tight ends, such that they are, none of them have very good matchups this week. It's it's hard not to go either top flight or, or take one of these bargain options this week. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Okay. All right. One more game to hit. We got the Bills at Titans on Monday night in Tennessee, 59 degrees and clear. So Derrick Henry has been an absolute lineup staple in DFS this season. He's had 35, 28, 33, and 29 carries the last four weeks. Just absolutely insane. But I'll mention that in that stretch, they've played a lot of underwhelming opponents, close games or wins, not the greatest defenses in terms of DVOA. It's been a while, but Henry had just 17 carries and 58 yards and a multi-score loss to the Cardinals in week one. What do you think is going to happen facing the number one DVOA team and defense in the Bills and does that scare you off of Henry at his just exorbitant DFS prices? I really like the Bills to win this game big. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Tennessee is one of our bottom 10 teams. Buffalo's our number one team. Uh, I don't care about the location of the game because home field advantage has been non-existent <laughs> for three Fair. years. Yep. And so I see the Titans falling behind and that changes the game script for Henry. Absolutely. And it's not that he won't have a lot of points. He will. But my yep. God, is he expensive in DFS? <laughs> He was ten thousand five hundred dollars in Fanduel. Like I honestly forgot that people could go over ten thousand dollars in these. <laughs> these it's like I think great. they can in DraftKings. Ooh, in DraftKings, I think they cap out, but uh, they're everybody's a little bit cheaper in DraftKings typically. But yeah, like obviously you're not going to bench Henry in any type of format where you just play a guy. But I think when the prices get involved, I think this really is one of the few chance the times when you maybe don't want to build a lot of your teams around him. Like maybe if you want to make it a few of your tournament plays. But I mean, from just like a value versus price perspective, I honestly think Zach Moss on the other side is is actually the much better value. He's 6,200 in FanDuel. I think that's mildly underpriced. But what I'll say about him is that his snap share has been increasing pretty markedly. It was, he didn't play in week one. He's taken over from Singletary. And I can say that as somebody who's had Singletary on his uh, DFS slates the last couple of weeks and hated it. I've... I've been riding with Singletary for like the last two years and I've just been wrong over and over and over again. I think it's at this point, I, I'm like decently confident that Moss is going to be the two well, of the two, the one that gets more work. He's definitely going to get more red zone work. And I think that could really help in this game while the Titans have the 27th run defense and they increase touchdowns per attempt by 57%. I feel like he would be the back that if the bills did build the big lead, he would get more of the work to like kill the clock. And so like, that's why I think it really makes sense to, to put him in your lineups this week. Agreed. Yep. He's the guy now. All right. Perfect. That clears out the games, Aaron. Let's kind of go back and check out some of these questions that we're getting. Again, we are live right now and every Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube, where you can ask us questions, but also on Twitch, on Twitter, um, on, on Facebook, I think. So like catch us wherever you want to catch us. Let's go through and start checking these out. Joey asks, should he start Matthew Stafford versus the Giants or Kyler Murray versus Cleveland um, with a bummy shoulder? I don't really have too much perspective on like Murray's health status or not, uh, but just from like a general fantasy perspective, even including what I said about this being a bad matchup, I think I would always start Murray over Stafford. The rushing is just too big yeah, of a the fantasy. The rushing value, absolutely. If Hertz can have a huge fantasy day playing like he did last night, then mm-hmm. what can Murray do? Uh, Steven Solomon asks, uh, what are our thoughts and expectations for Josh Gordon, who signed with the Chiefs? I mean, to me, this is a situation where Gordon has like failed so many of the, the like drug standards over the years that I just don't expect him to, to stick with the team and stay above board. Um, but do you have any more optimism than I do? 
I mean, I think that maybe he can stick with the team and stay above board. I don't think he's going to be a big part of their offense. I think he's going to be the kind of guy who's like a random play. Mm-hmm. He's going to have a couple of games where he gets 100 yards and a touchdown or two touchdowns, and then he's going to have a bunch of games with like six yards. Well, if you want that, you should just you know start Demarcus Robinson, who's basically free. Like, do you right, I think he's going to be like all the Chiefs receivers who yeah. are not Tyreek Hill. So the, the Geek Robo, uh, he asked, should he start Miles Sanders or Zach Moss? Miles Sanders played last night, um, so I, I'll say that you should definitely start, start Zach Moss. I rode Miles Sanders in our uh, in Loser League to, to great effect. I was worried after the one carry in the first half he was getting the penalty, but he got to nine carries. It was clutch. Yeah, Zach Moss, I think even going forward, given the way Philadelphia – I mean, obviously some of the not running last night was because of Vita Vea and the Tampa Bay defense, mm-hmm. but – they clearly don't want to run much. I think Moss is actually probably a better pick going forward. All right. Evan Harrison, he traded Kadarius Tony and Williams. There's a lot of Williams. Daryl Williams, it says above it. Okay, great. Daryl Williams for David Montgomery. He has Devontae Adams, probably DJ Moore, Chase. Oh, man, this guy's loaded. Eckler, Josh Jacobs, Zach Moss, Eli Mitchell, Brandon Cooks, Renfro. Whew, that's a lot to unpack. Um, yes, I think that's a good move. I think David Montgomery, when he comes back, is probably going to be a top 15 running back, even with the – there's increased options here with Chicago. Like, it seems like Khalil Herbert, maybe he'll be good. After the – Tariq Cohen's going to, I think, come off the PUP list probably in the next few weeks. There's going to be guys eating into that workload, but I've always been a lot higher on Montgomery than other people. Stuff like avoided tackle rate uh, and yards after contact suggests he's a better runner than I think the traditional stats have painted that picture. So I think that's a good move for you. Uh, do you feel the same way, Aaron? Yeah, because he's got so much stuff mm-hmm. that it's like he doesn't need to have two players. Like Agreed. one better play, he's definitely got a team where one better player is better than two lesser players. Kevin Martinez asked, "Should I trade Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt for McCaffrey?" Um, I would not. To like McCaffrey, I think is going to be the more valuable player when he plays. But having both Chubb and Hunt. That means that you are very insulated from injury. Yeah, if Chubb, Chubb doesn't play this week, which it looks like he's not going to, you've got Hunt. He's like a top five dude. McCaffrey, like I wouldn't be stunned to see him miss more time going forward. That's just kind of how it works with running backs. So uh, I would rather have the protection. And I don't really think Chubb is that le- dramatically less valuable than, than McCaffrey anyway. That it's, yeah, I wouldn't risk the injury. Adam Liz asks, I had the Vikings as my defense. Should I be looking to trade Tyler Boyd or Rondale Moore for a different D uh, for the rest of the season? Um, unless you're in like a super deep league, I wouldn't trade any kind of offensive player that has any value to, to acquire a defense in fantasy. You can stream defenses to great effect in fantasy. Um, so yeah, I mean, the Vikings may not be a great option for you week in and week out, but like, yeah, play them this week against the Panthers for sure. And then if you need to just drop them, you can find teams like the Bengals on the wire that in the right matchups will make it work for you. I'm playing the Bengals in a couple of leagues this week because I just picked them up streaming. Absolutely. All right. Um, Black Teps asks, I have Chubb in my fantasy leagues, but I find Zach Moss on waivers. Already have Booker and Daryl Williams of the Chiefs. Who should he – I'm not sure if he means play. Put, oh, put, put in his lineup or punt? Hmm, I don't know. So Maybe let's, put in his lineup. Who, let's who say should, put, who like, should he put in his lineup to replace Chubb? I'm not looking at my rankings, but I'm pretty sure I have Zach Moss and Daryl Williams back to back. And I think I have them ahead of Devontae Booker. Um, but you can actually check that out on footballoutsiders.com. Uh, we got the weekly projections up there for you. And if you yeah. can't see them, just tweet me and I will answer it for you. FO there. Plus subscribers get the weekly fantasy projections. I use them. You should use them. Absolutely. 
I put a lot of effort into them, guys. So you'll, you'll make me feel better if you do. Uh, Brock Goose asks, I'm 5-0 and with the 10-team PPR 2-flex. Congratulations. Trade Najee, Amari, and Moss, Zach Moss, uh, for Christian McCaffrey, Jacoby Myers, and uh, Devin Singletary. So let me try to take this one by one. You'd rather have Moss than Singletary. You'd rather have Amari than Jacoby Myers. To me, I'm not sure. I think I'd probably rather have Najee Harris than Christian McCaffrey, given the health concerns, right? I still feel like that Pittsburgh offensive line, but I mean, Najee Harris has gotten more points than I expected this year. I expected he'd be worse than this. So, so I, I think, yeah, I think you may be right um, that it's better to have Najee Harris and the depth than it is to have Christian McCaffrey, but, but much worse depth. I think so. And it, to me, Harris has kind of been as advertised where like the rushing efficiency apart from last week hasn't been there with the poor run blocking. And I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are still 32nd in adjusted line yards, but he's just going to get even more targets now that Smith Schuster has gone. Like he may well lead the position in targets, assuming McCaffrey doesn't himself. So yeah, I, I would stick with the threesome that you have, if I'm being honest. All right. Um, one more question here from Kevin Martinez. Lamar Jackson and Emmanuel Sanders for Dak and Tyreek Hill. He already has Tom Brady as a quarterback option. So given that, uh, yes. Um, to yes. me, like if you already have a, a quarterback that is, you know, a top five worthy player, take the, the dramatically big upgrade, I think, from Emmanuel Sanders to Tyreek Hill. Sanders' value is really heavily skewed toward his touchdown production so far. I don't even think he's in the top 25 among receivers in target share. Hill is going to be there for you all year. That's a no-brainer trade in my mind. Frankly, isn't Lamar Jackson more valuable than than Dak? Any? I mean, those two. I don't know. Dak is really good too. Like it's it's close. I think because of the rushing yardage, I'm sure Lamar Jackson has more fantasy points than Dak Prescott. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, the difference between Tyreek Hill and Emmanuel Sanders is very substantial. Absolutely. All right. I think that that covers all the questions and answers. Hopefully that covered all of the fantasy previewing you need to win all of your matchups in week six and make the best DFS decisions. Thanks so much for sticking it out and watching us, hopefully live Monday through Friday on YouTube. On Monday, Aaron will be back. Uh, he'll be back pretty much every day. Yeah, it'll be week. me again hosting on Monday. <laughs> Recapping all of those games. You'll definitely want to check that out. Uh, if you can't catch us live from 1 to 2, remember you can always listen to us after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Please subscribe and leave us five-star reviews there because it helps us build an audience. And you can catch us on the site after the fact, you know, YouTube links and stuff. There's all kinds of way- ways to catch us up. We would appreciate if you did that. Meanwhile, best of luck to you for all of your week six fantasy uh, matchups and everything else. And we'll swing back and catch you next week. So long, everybody.